This podcast is a presentation of Indianola First Assembly of God Church. For more information, please visit us online at indianolafirst.com. Well, this morning, Pastor Barry and our team are still in Botswana, Africa, and uh, they've been working with our missionaries over there, Bob and Barb Van Wyke, and they have been having a blast. I don't know if those of you that are on Facebook, maybe you've seen some of the pictures, uh, but they are going into schools and they're doing assemblies. They're going and doing children. This morning, actually, they're doing a children's crusade uh, because one of the things that's culturally different in Africa is younger children don't have a lot of value to Africans uh, in that part of Africa because age is looked at with honor. And so uh, we have a lady, Janet, who's the oldest member of our team, and uh, she is uh, very honored when she goes places because of her age. Uh, but younger, younger children are not very honored, and uh, they're not treated well. And so our team, when they go into places like schools and stuff like that, uh, they just they get hundreds of kids that come and uh, just are quiet, and they're like respectful, and they, they just come and they hear what our team has to say as they share the love of God with them. And then uh, several of the times that they have gone and done children's crusades, the kids will literally stand in lines to get hugs from our people. That's how much they are just so love-starved. And uh, so our team is able to, to uh, minister to them, and several of them may want to try to smuggle back some little African kids. They've talked that way, so... If you were a spouse here this morning, you may get a surprise when your spouse comes home. They're coming back on, uh, on Wednesday this week. They're leaving there Tuesday. So continue to pray for our team in Africa. They're doing great, and uh, they are loving being over there, and I can't wait to hear the stories that we hear when we come back. So uh, just keep them in your prayers if you would. Well, today I want to talk to you because it is Pentecost Sunday. It is Pentecost Sunday. And uh, how many of you woke up this morning and said, oh man, it's Pentecost Sunday. Yeah. You guys need to get with the program. Get on the Jewish calendar, people. Pentecost Sunday. I'm going to talk to you about what that means and what that's all about. But um, maybe you noticed, I don't know if you do, maybe you don't keep up with tech news like I do, but um, is there any Apple fans or Mac fans in the house? Apple fans, anybody? Oh, wow, you are a quiet bunch. Okay, so got some Apple fans. This week, Apple announced uh, uh, a brand new computer. Um, it's one that a lot of the Mac fans have been, or I shouldn't say Apple fans, have been waiting for for a long time. Uh, it's the Mac Pro. It's like their workhorse computer, and it's targeted for people that edit video and edit photos. Um, but they came out with it this week, and they announced it, and it's got amazing specs. It's got incredible capabilities, bar, bar none the most powerful uh, consumer computer on the market today. I mean, it, it blows anything that's out there out of the water unless, you know, someone does like a, a build where they just go crazy. But um, of course, with Apple, all that power doesn't come for free. And Apple is known for pushing the limits of what consumers are willing to spend to get top dollar for their items. And uh, so far, their strategy has worked pretty well. I mean, they're like the number one company in the world. And so they do this top dollar pricing and it's worked well for them. And, and to be fair to them, usually their products are pretty good. Uh, but this week, they might have finally gone over the top. They might have finally gone over the top. The starting price for the Mac Pro, $6,000. Now, mind you, that is not the decked out version of the Mac Pro. That is the starting price of the Mac Pro. If you went and got more, if you kind of maxed out the specs on it, that's going to run you about twenty grand for the Mac Pro. The 32-inch monitor that comes with this machine will retail for a cool $4,999 for the monitor, for the monitor. 
But I'll tell you guys this, those numbers are not what consumers are upset about because there's been some backlash about this. As expensive as the computer and the monitor are, they're not, what push, they're not what's gonna push Apple over the edge to lunacy. Um, but what has received massive backlash from this week is the monitor stand. The stand prices out at $999. For the price of 10 years worth of Netflix, you could have a piece of aluminum that holds your monitor up. That's what, they've, that's what they're selling. 900, for the price of my first car, I could have a stand that holds my monitor up. And as crazy as that sounds, and as crazy as that price is, and all the people that will complain about it, and they'll tweet about it, and they'll get upset about it, I'll tell you what, most likely, anybody who buys the Mac Pro is probably gonna buy the stand. Why? Because they have the money for it? No, not necessarily. I know those people and they they don't have a whole lot of money because they keep spending their money on Mac products. Um, They're gonna buy it because what else are you gonna do? What else are you gonna do when you have a $4,000, $5,000 monitor what else are you going to do with it? I, some people have came up with some ideas of what they would like to do. And uh, let's go ahead and throw that picture up there. This is one guy's idea. He's going to tape it to the wall. So he's like, forget the $1,000. I'm going to just tape it to the wall. Or, uh, or there's this idea, or what's probably going to happen. Okay, They're just going to lay the monitor because they can't afford it. They're just going to lay the monitor down on the, on the stand. So, what, but the question is, what are you going to do? You know, Everybody's going to complain about it. Everybody's going to be mad about it. But what are you going to do? Because you have to have this stand. You know, it's called, a, it's called a, a, an optional accessory, but it's really not optional if you want to get that monitor, is it? You have to have it, um, but it's really not optional. And why do I bring all this up this morning? Well, I bring it up because there's a lot of Christians who treat the Holy Spirit like this. They consider the baptism of the Holy Spirit as an add-on to the Christian life. But God had so much more in mind for it than that. You see... The day of Pentecost happened back 2,000 years ago, and let me set the stage for you a little bit. Pentecost was something that happened in the Jewish calendar after there there were several feasts in the in the Jewish calendar. There's three of them, and but the one was Passover. Okay, and you're probably familiar with Passover, but uh, the Passover feast happened uh, the time that Jesus died on the cross. And uh, but that, that feast obviously had been in place for thousands of years. But when Jesus died on the cross, that was the Sabbath after that. Um, would have started a countdown of 50 days until the next feast, which was the day of Pentecost. So Jesus resurrected from the dead on Sunday, okay? After Friday, after the Passover had happened, Jesus resurrected from the dead on that Sunday. And uh, when he resurrected from the dead, many people think he just kind of resurrected and then he, he ascended to heaven. But actually, he spent about 40 days with the disciples, teaching them, and, and, and not just his 12, but he appeared to some others as well. But he spent 40 days with them, and he said to them, the, one of the last things he said before he actually did ascend to heaven after 40 days, is he said, stay here in Jerusalem, which is where they were, and wait until the Holy Spirit clothes you with power from on high. And so 10 days later, so they had been in Jerusalem, they were just kind of hanging out, waiting for this power to show up, and 10 days later, when they were in prayer, there was about 120 of the disciples gathered together in one place, and 
then on the day of Pentecost, after Jesus had been had ascended, as for he's resurrected, they received this baptism in the Holy Spirit that Jesus had been talking about. And that's why we as Christians, especially as Pentecostals, which is what we are, we are a Pentecostal church, we celebrate and recognize the day of Pentecost. And that's why we celebrate Pentecost Sunday. So God has given us this baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I want you to take notes this morning. I want you to get out a pen and a piece of paper if you roll that way. I want you to get out your phones and I want you to, even if you don't take notes and we usually don't ask you to do this, please take notes this morning. Number one, I have a lot of scripture I wanna throw away. Number two, there is no concept or idea or doctrine of the church that gets more twisted and messed up than the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so I want you to understand what we're going to be talking about today. And I want to make it as plain and as clear as I possibly can. And I want you to be able to go back and look at the scripture references so that you can see it for yourself, this idea or this this thing called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I want you to know about it and I want you to be um, informed about it. So I want to show you this morning that it's God's idea and his design for his children to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. How many think it's God's idea that we be baptized in the Holy Spirit? God's design, yes? It is, it's God's design. In fact, God has pointed this, pointed the way towards this baptism as a part of the full Christian experience for many thousands of years. If you remember in the book of John, John 10, 10, Jesus said, the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the fullest, Full. Life. There's a full life that God meant for every single one of us to have. And we'll talk a little bit more about what that means in just a little bit. But God has been pointing to this full Christian experience. And, uh, and, and I'll tell you, there's a lot of Christians who aren't experiencing the full Christian experience, the full experience of life that God meant for his believers to experience. So this morning, I want to take you uh, through a few thoughts. And, and guys, if I was going to talk to you about the Holy Spirit, there wouldn't be enough time today for me to do that. There's so much when it comes to this subject. In fact, usually we do it as a series and we take it you know, four to six weeks so we can really lay it out. But this morning, I only have one week to get all this in and I really can't talk fast enough to get in everything I need to. But this morning, I'm gonna take some thoughts from uh, a man by the name of Robert Morris. He heads a church called Gateway Church in Texas. He did a series called The God I Never Knew. It was a book that he wrote and a series that he did. If you get an opportunity, you can write that down, The God I Never Knew. Great, great material. Probably the best I've ever heard on the baptism of the Holy Spirit, who the Holy Spirit is. Uh, just an amazing series. Please check it out. I'm gonna take some of his thoughts today, but I want you to have his source so that you can go back and take a look at that as well. So, In the Bible, there are three baptisms that are mentioned. Maybe you knew this, maybe you didn't. There's three baptisms. I want to show you those baptisms this morning, uh, starting with the first one. And the first baptism is that the Holy Spirit baptizes us in Jesus. The Holy Spirit baptizes us in Jesus, or salvation. Let's take a look at 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13. Paul the Apostle writes this and he says this, "Some some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles. Some are slaves and some are free. But we all have been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. Okay, so what's it saying? It's saying that we have all been baptized as believers into one body. That would be the body of Christ. Okay, this is talking about salvation. It's a work of the spirit because, look, it says, by one spirit, one spirit baptized us into the body of Christ. It's salvation, okay? Does that make sense to everybody? Shake your heads if you're tracking with me so far. 
I got most of you. I'll take it. All right, let's keep going. Um, the Holy Spirit baptizes us into the church. I just said that. Let's look at uh, the second baptism. The second baptism is probably the one we're most familiar with. When you say baptism, it's the one we probably think of, and that is water baptism, and that's when a disciple baptizes us in water. This is found in Matthew. The command for this is found in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, also called the Great Commission. You might have heard this verse before. It says, therefore, this is Jesus' last words to his disciples. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So this is that time when we as a church will baptize those who have confessed uh, that they have or they've put their trust and their faith in Jesus Christ. And you'll hear us say that, won't you? I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Dunked, right? You're familiar with that because you've seen it happen. Water baptism. So it's commanded in Matthew 28, 19. Now, when we are water baptized, there's symbolism in it. And uh, the symbolism is that when we are water baptized, we bury the old person who we used to be, and we're resurrected when we come up out of the water. That's why we do uh, full immersion baptism, okay? That's, we're buried with the old person and then we're resurrected into the new person when we come up. And can I just make a side note here? If you have not been water baptized, do you realize it's a command from Jesus? You realize that? It's a command. If you haven't been water baptized, if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ and you've made that decision yourself and you have not yet been water baptized, you need to be water baptized. So next time, which is gonna be in the fall, when we do water baptisms, I want you signed up and I want you there, okay? Does that make sense? Make sure you get water baptized. All right, so water baptism, we understand that pretty well. We're familiar with that. Number three, Jesus baptizes us in the Holy Spirit. It's a third baptism. Matthew 3, 11, I'm actually gonna read a lot of verses here for you, and they're gonna sound pretty similar, but I'm gonna go through them pretty quick. Matthew 3.11, I baptize you in water for repentance, but he who is coming after me, now this is John the Baptist talking, if you remember him, uh, he was the forerunner to Jesus, um, and he's saying this. He says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me, who is Jesus, is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Mark 1.8, I baptize you with water, this is John again, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Luke 3.16, John answered them all saying, I baptize, this is again, John the Baptist, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And finally, the last one in John 1.33, I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who will baptize in, with the Holy Spirit. All right, so John the Baptist here, so a lot of people think, well, he was talking to the disciples and he was telling the 12 apostles or disciples that, that Jesus was gonna baptize them in the Holy Spirit. This happened, John the Baptist said this in four of the gospels and kind of an interesting side note, there's only a handful, there's about five events that take place in all four of these books that we call the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You can find them at the beginning of the New Testament. They're the story of Jesus's life. There's only about five events that take place in all of those books through, that you can look through the entire book and you can see the whole thing. This is one of them when John talks about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So anyway, John is talking to the crowd. The disciples hadn't even come on the scene yet. Jesus hadn't been baptized by John, so John's talking to believers. And he says, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So do you think that baptism was for the disciples, the, the 12 apostles? 
No, it was for everybody. John was telling everybody this when he said that. All right, so we have the three baptisms, salvation, water baptism, and baptism in the Spirit, okay? Salvation, water, Spirit. And you're gonna see this pattern. I'm gonna take you through Scripture, and I'm gonna show you how God has laid this out for thousands of years, and he's pointed to this idea, not just of salvation, not just of water baptism, but also of baptism in the Holy Spirit. So let's go ahead and let's take a look at that um, this morning. First of all, Jesus himself experienced the three baptisms. And you're like, well, Jesus got saved? How does that work? Well, no, Jesus didn't get saved, but Jesus lived a sinless, perfect life, okay? He had salvation because of the way that he lived his life, and we have salvation through him because he became the perfect sacrifice. So he experienced salvation in that. Uh, Jesus was water baptized by John the Baptist, and in fact, some of this exchange that we just read, uh, this is John the Baptist talking. He was the one who came before Jesus, and in fact, Jesus, uh, John protested when Jesus came to be baptized, and he said, I need to be baptized by you, and Jesus said, no, this is proper. This is what needs to be done, so Jesus experienced water baptism, and Jesus experienced the baptism in the Holy Spirit, and you're like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. When did Jesus get baptized in the Holy Spirit? Well, there was a scene that happened when Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist, which is actually a really great picture of the Trinity too, because every single member of the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit were at one place at one time. John baptized him, and then after John baptized him, there was a voice that came from heaven who said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. That was God. Okay. Jesus, obviously, was the one getting baptized. And then it says, when he came up out of the water, the Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove. Okay, not, not a dove. A lot of people picture a dove just landing on Jesus, right? I don't know how they picture it in their mind, but it was the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove. That was when he was baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now listen, Jesus was fully God and fully man. And sometimes we look at the life of Jesus and we say, Jesus did all these amazing things because he was Jesus and he had special Jesus powers. It's not true. Jesus laid down his humanity when he came to earth. He got baptized in the Holy Spirit and every single miracle that he did in his life is something that you and I can do through the Holy Spirit when the Holy Spirit decides because that's how Jesus lived his life. He didn't just take powers and do things. The only thing that Jesus did differently that we can't do is he was able to forgive sin and he had control of angels if he wanted to, which he didn't use, okay? He could do those things, we can't. But every single thing that you see Jesus do in, in his life are things that we can do because the Holy Spirit was working through him. He was baptized in the Holy Spirit, okay. So Jesus, Jesus um, experienced all three of the baptisms. Now, let me take you really quick to the book of Acts. Acts chapter two, verse 38. Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins, that's called salvation, and turn to God and be baptized, that means in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, that's water baptism, and then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, that is Holy Spirit baptism. Do you see it? All three of them right there in one verse. Let's go down to Acts chapter 8. I'm doing a lot of teaching today, guys, sorry. I just had to, I had to put on the teaching hat this morning because I want you to understand this because there's so much confusion about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I need you to understand this. And one thing I love about this guy that I forgot to mention, Robert Morris, is he was a Baptist pastor. He was trained theologically. Um, he, the way he was trained theologically is that these gifts didn't exist. And so I just, I love the fact that he goes to the scripture to, to, to open this pattern up. Acts chapter eight, verses 12 
starting at verse 12. I need to set a scene for you. There's a guy named Philip. He was a believer. He went up to this place called Samaria, and he started preaching, and a revival broke out. Okay, so that's the scene. It says this. We're going to pick it up in verse 12. But when they, when they believed Philip, those are the people he was preaching to, when they believed Philip, okay, that's salvation. If you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth, you're saved, right? So they believed Philip, that's salvation, as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus. They were baptized, both men and women, so water baptism there again. Now we're going to skip down to verse 14. Now when the apostles came down and prayed for them, they... Uh, uh, now, I'm sorry, let me reread that. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they heard that they were getting saved, they sent Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. So there you have it again. They believed Philip, salvation, they were baptized, water baptism, and Peter and John laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. That's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Let me give you one more from the book of Acts, chapter nine, verses one through five. Paul wrote this and he said this, uh, I'm sorry, not Paul. Paul didn't write this. This was the, Luke wrote this. He said, while Apollos was in Corinth, Paul traveled through the interior regions and reached Ephesus on the coast where he found several believers. Now this is Paul's conversation with these guys. Paul said, do you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? He asked them. No, they replied. We haven't even heard there was a Holy Spirit. Then what baptism did you experience? He asked. And they replied, the baptism of John. Okay, let's pause it right there. So you've got these believers who, now understand, if you're Jewish, the center of Jewish life at that time was in Jerusalem. And at some point in your life, or maybe multiple times, or at least once a year for Passover, the, a lot of the Jews in the Roman world would come to Jerusalem, okay? And then they would go back to their homes. Now, these guys evidently at some point went to Jerusalem, and they, they received the baptism. that They heard John the Baptist, and they received John's baptism. And then they went back home, and of course, you know, they don't have Facebook. They don't have, uh, you know, the internet. They don't have phones. They don't have TV. So they, news travels slow. And so they didn't even hear that there was a Jesus. They didn't even know about the Holy Spirit. They're like, we didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. You know, where did this guy come from? And so Paul, picking it up in verse four, Paul said, John's baptism called for repentance from sin. But John himself told the people to believe, that's salvation, in the one who would come later, meaning Jesus. As soon as they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. That's water baptism. And when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in other tongues and prophesied. So do you see it? There's believing, water baptism, and Holy Spirit baptism. Let me give you another one. 1 John 5, 7 through 8. John says this. This is the, the disciple John. He says, so we have these three witnesses, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And the blood is representation, representative of what? Salvation. It was by the blood of the Lamb that we're saved, right? So right there it says it. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 2. And we were all baptized into Moses. Moses was a type of Jesus in the Old Testament or like a foreshadowing of Jesus in the Old Testament. He rescued the people from slavery and brought them into freedom. Um, so he said, we're baptized into Moses, into the cloud, okay? So in the Old Testament, when the Israelites came out, there was a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, representative of the Holy Spirit, and into the sea, which is made of what? Who knows scientifically what a sea is made out of? Water, good job. You guys are just amazing scientists. All right, so there's Moses, who was the type of Christ, salvation, the cloud, which was a representative of the Holy Spirit, and the sea, which is the water. So there it is. Now, one more thing I'm gonna show you. If I haven't convinced you yet, 
that salvation, there's this, there, there's this pattern of salvation, water, and spirit in the Bible. I want to show you one more thing. And if, if you're not there, maybe this will push you over the edge, okay? In the Old Testament, there was a place called the tabernacle. Again, we're going to go back to Moses when he brought these people who were God's people out of Egypt where they were slaves for uh, hundreds of years. He brought them into this place called the wilderness, which was kind of a deserty area. And they set up this place called the tabernacle. It was basically like a big tent with sheets around it. And uh, when he set up the tabernacle, God told him to create this place. Was called. There's two places in the inner part of this court called the, the holy place and the most holy place. It's where God's presence was at. Right now, we, any of us can have, we had God's presence here this morning. You can have God's presence with you when you go home. You're indwelt with the Holy Spirit. At that time, if you wanted to have God's presence, that's the only place on earth you could find it, okay? So God set up some patterns. So around there, um, that represents the tabernacle, and then you got the holy place and the most holy place. Now, there were three things that you needed to do if you wanted to go into God's presence. Number one, go ahead and put that next slide up there. Actually, okay, well, yeah, put the next slide up. The first thing that you would encounter was the altar, okay? The altar was a bloody place because that's where they would make sacrifices. So before Jesus came on the scene, um, sin had to be dealt with with blood. Now, the blood that Jesus spilled for us was kind of like the once and done sacrifice for all of us. But before Jesus came on the scene, there was still blood that was required for sin. And so they had this thing called the altar where they would, uh, where they would sacrifice animals according to what sin you did. You'd have to sacrifice animals. So you have the altar uh, where the blood is, which represents, we already have the line up there, represents salvation, right? The second thing you would encounter if you wanted to go into the presence of God is this thing called the laver, okay? And the laver was a place where you would go and you would do a ritual washing of your hands. So what do you suppose the laver was filled with so that you could wash your hands? Water, right? Which represents the, the water or baptism in water. The last thing that you would have to do in order to go into God's presence is you would have to take this flask filled with oil. It's a special oil that they created and they would dump it on your head to anoint you with oil so that you could go into the presence of God. Now, in the Bible, the Holy Spirit is represented by a number of things, by, by uh, earth, uh, by wind, by water, it's kind of like I'm, like I'm calling on Captain Planet, if is what I feel like. Um, but the Holy Spirit was wind, water, uh, fire, oil is one of the things that represented the Holy Spirit throughout the entire Bible. And so you had this representation of the Holy Spirit where they would anoint you with oil, and then obviously that was the Spirit, so that you could go into the holy place and the most holy place. Now, the unfortunate thing and what happens is, and the reason that I'm taking so long to explain this, is because so many Christians think, okay, I, I, I got salvation, like I put my faith in Jesus, I put my trust in Jesus, that's good, and, and I've been water baptized, and I'm good with water baptism, but then the Holy Spirit thing gets kind of weird to them. And the baptism of the Holy Spirit is weird because they don't understand it. Or, you know, maybe someone weird got baptized in the Holy Spirit and like, I don't want to be like that weird person. And can I share something with you today? The Holy Spirit didn't make that person weird. They were already weird before the Holy Spirit baptized them. So <laughs> it's not the Holy Spirit's fault. Um, but they'll do that, and then they want to just bypass the Holy Spirit, and they want to go into the presence of God. Do you know what would happen in the Old Testament if you bypassed the process that God laid out and tried to go into the most holy place? You would die. You would die. That's how important God 
made this symbol. Okay, this, these are all symbolic. There's nothing magical about what was happening, but it was a symbol of what was to come. That's how important the baptism of the Holy Spirit is, but yet we treat it like the, uh, the, the, the optional add-on to the Christian life. We think, well, we can get by. And you, can you have salvation? Will you go to heaven without the baptism of the Holy Spirit? If you put your trust in Jesus, yeah, you will. Okay? Uh, can, you go to the, can you go to heaven without being water baptized? You, you can. But my question for you is this. If God painstakingly, and I have showed you through Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, several passages, that God has set up this process of salvation, water, spirit. Why in the world would you not want to have the baptism of the Holy Spirit? If God came to your door and, and, he, and he wanted to give you a gift, Jesus came to you, you know, you get home from church and you hear a knock on the door. You know, now we hear a knock on the door and everybody hides, right? It's like somebody's probably selling something. But you go to the door and there's Jesus and Jesus has a big package for you. It says Amazon. I don't know why Jesus would, but he might have an Amazon package. And he wants to give you a gift. Would you look at Jesus and say, you know, I think we're good. I think we're good, Jesus. Thanks for coming. I'm sure you've traveled a long way. I know your sandals probably aren't that comfortable, but we're, we're good, Jesus. We're okay. Of course you wouldn't do that. Jesus came to your house, you'd be like, come in. I want everything that you want to give me. And so that is what Jesus gave you in the Holy Spirit. And I just want you to be that type of person. And I want us to be a church who is living fully in the power that God has created us to live in. We look at the life of Jesus, don't we? And I don't know about you, but I look at the life of Jesus. And every time I read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Every time Jesus, you know, he's either teaching a parable or he's performing some kind of a miracle. He's healing somebody. Uh, he's casting out a demon. I mean, this guy walked in power all the time. And I look at Jesus's life and I look at our lives and myself included. I look at our lives and I'm like, there is something missing. And you might say, well, Jesus was, on, was ministering for three years and those were just the highlights of his life. Do you know that the Bible says that there were so many more miracles that Jesus did that, that there aren't enough volumes on earth to contain them? The Bible says that. Those weren't just the highlights. This was his normal day in and day out life. Church, I look at our lives as American Christians and I don't see that. I don't see miracles happening. I don't see people healed. I don't see people set free. Do you know why? Because we think that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is just an option. It's just an add-on to the Christian life. It's not. Man, hear me today. You need to get this. You need to have this. You need to walk in this power. And for those of you that have been baptized in the Holy Spirit, you need to be continually being filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay, I'm in that camp. It's not just good enough that you got filled with the Holy Spirit once back in 1970 at camp and spoke in tongues. You need to walk in that power daily. Because how many know, like Jesus, that power goes out from you? Jesus spent time recharging himself and filling himself with the Holy Spirit so that he could give out and so that he could be ready when the Holy Spirit says, that's the one right there. That's the one that I want you to touch and they're gonna be healed. That's the one that I want you to touch and there's gonna be a demon that flees. So, I hope I have you convinced this morning. I need the baptism. How do I receive it? It's really, really easy. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is a gift a gift that God gives us church. And how many know to receive a gift, what do you have to do? Receive it. <laughs> how do you receive it? You receive it. You just hold out your hands and you take it. The Holy Spirit wants to give you this gift. Jesus wants to baptize you in the Holy Spirit worse than you want to be baptized yourself. It's incredibly, incredibly simple. But here's the thing that you gotta do. You gotta submit yourself fully. 
Because when you get baptized, uh, I'm sorry, when you get saved, you do receive the Holy Spirit. You have an indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, after he was resurrected, looked at the disciples, he blew on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. So they already had the whole, we had the indwelling of the Holy Spirit at the time of salvation. But there's another, uh, there's another experience called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus said for the disciples, it's not good enough just for you to have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Because when you get saved, you have the Holy Spirit. But when you get the baptism of the Holy Spirit, then the Holy Spirit has you. Because that word baptism, baptismo, means to immerse. So it's like standing at the bank of a river and, and and you know, when you, have, when you get saved, it's like you, you splash the water on you a little bit. But when you get baptized in the Holy Spirit, it's like you just jump in that river and you let yourself go wherever that river is going to take you. And that's where people have a hard time. But it's a submission process, okay? That's probably the hardest part is just submitting yourself to the process. But if you ask, the Bible says you'll receive. Um, so real quick, and I'm running way out of time, but if I ask for the baptism of the Holy Spirit and surrender myself to Jesus, then the next question is, okay, it's easy to receive it, but how do I know if I receive it? I wanna take you through a couple of verses really quick, and then you're gonna tell me, how do you know if you receive the baptism? All right, first one is found in Acts chapter two, verses one through four. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, the, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them, okay? So we have a sound like a, a mighty rushing wind and then we have these guys speaking in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them, okay? Two things happen. Acts chapter 10, verses 45 and 46. And I'm sorry, I don't have any time to give background on this, but you can go back and look it up later. The circumcised believers, a.k.a. the Jews, who had come with Peter, were astonished the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. So there's two things that happened. They spoke in tongues and they praised God, right, when they received the baptism. All right, let me take you to the last one found in Acts chapter 19, and we actually already read this and talked about it. Um, on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and they prophesied. Three instances I gave you in Acts. And the first one, they mentioned uh, tongues of fire are blowing wind and then speaking in tongues. The second one, they mentioned uh, tongues and praising God. And the third one, they mentioned tongues and prophesying. So you tell me, what is the evidence? How do you know that you've been filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit according to what I just read you out of Acts three times? What was the common thing in all of them? Speak, they spoke in tongues. They spoke in tongues. They spoke in tongues. Whoa. Pastor Jared, that is super weird stuff. Yeah, it is weird. <laughs> it is weird. Why would God ask us to speak in tongues? Well, first of all, what is speaking in tongues? What is this evidence of the Holy Spirit? Well, speaking in tongues is you, the believer. It's something God gives to the believer as a gift um, for them to speak in a language that they never knew previously, okay? Does that mean that you understand the language when you're speaking it? No, you don't. You don't understand it. But it's a, it's a, it's a uh, language that God gives you through the Holy Spirit that you didn't previously know. Now, there's, in the Bible, it does say that there were some tongues that they were speaking, like the, the first day of Pentecost. Those were tongues of men that people could understand because there's people from other parts of the Roman world and they could understand what those guys were saying. Um, so there's tongues of men. And then Paul also talks about in 1 Corinthians 13, tongues of angels. And so sometimes there's tongues that are spoken that are not understood by anybody because they're not a tongue that is spoken even in this world. Um, so, but either way, 
Yeah, 1 Corinthians 13 talks about it. But the question then is, why tongues? Why did God choose this weird thing for us to do as an evidence? Well, I take it back to the book of James. In the book of James, it talks about the fact that you can tame any animal. Every animal in the world has been tamed, and everybody can tame pretty much anything, but there's one thing you cannot tame. You know what it says? can't tame your tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. That's what James calls our tongue. Wow. <laughs> you ever heard someone give you a tongue lashing? I, I can see it. Man, my daughter, when she, she like, when her brother does something to her, man, she just, like, her, she's, still, she's a little girl. She's just tiny, but her words, man, they're just weapons. She just, she just beats those, she beats those older brothers down with her words. It's awesome. It's, it's a sight to behold, I'll tell you what. But anyway, the tongue is a, is a, is a deadly poison full of restless evil. And so anyway, my point is this. It's the only thing that God says you can't tame can't tame the tongue. So remember I talked about the baptism of the Holy Spirit being like a bank and, and we're, we're, we're sitting on the bank and we need to just jump in and you just surrender yourself to the stream, okay? If you can surrender your tongue and let the Holy Spirit speak through you, then does it stand to reason that God has the rest of you in submission as well? Does that make sense? So why this weird thing of tongues? Well, it means that you're in complete submission to God. It means that you've given everything to him and the Holy Spirit can use you and can flow through you some awesome, awesome power and awesome gifts. You can't afford this morning to not have the baptism of the Holy Spirit as a believer. And you can go about your life and you can be just fine and you can do it if you want to, but man alive, if God's got something for me, I don't know about you, but I want it. So this morning, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna be praying for people to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Maybe you've never received the baptism of the Holy Spirit before. Today's your day. Today's gonna be a great day for you. It's gonna be a lot of fun because God's here, the Holy Spirit's here, and he wants to baptize you. And here's how it's gonna happen. I'm gonna have those of you in just a second who wanna come down, I'm gonna pray for you. And for those of you that wanna come down and receive the baptism, I'm gonna have you come down and I'm gonna have you stand across this front. I'm gonna have our prayer team here as well, and we're gonna be praying for you. And then I'm gonna just dismiss everybody. So um, if you need to go or if you don't wanna stay in here, that's perfectly fine. Please don't hang out in here, have conversations because we're doing business down front. So if you want to go, please feel free to go. But I'll dismiss everybody at that time. And, and for those of you that need to go, go. But those of you that want to get filled, I'm going to have you stay here and I'm going to give you some instruction and we're going to pray for you and you're going to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit today. So let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this gift that you've given the church. I thank you, God, that you have not left us powerless as your children, but God, you've given us every single thing we need in the Holy Spirit. Father, I pray for those this morning who are excited and ready to reach out and to grab hold of everything that you have, the fullness of the life that you meant us to live. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd calm nerves. I pray, God, that you'd bring them to a place, God, where they're just ready to submit. They're at the edge of the bank and they're ready to jump in for you. We love you and we give you praise in Jesus' name. Thanks for being a part of the Indianola First Assembly of God podcast. Join us next week to stay updated on our latest message.